The sun is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or things in heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well-established and rooted in allegiance and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard before. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became a servant of this good news. Now, I'm happy to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's suffering with my own body. I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. I'm completing it with a secret plan that has been hidden for ages and generations, but which has now been revealed to his holy people. God wanted to make the glorious riches of the secret plan known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. This is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each other mature in Christ. May this be to us the word of the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes and I'm glad you're here. Thank you as always to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music. Boy, that was a long reading this morning, (laughs) this week. Um, Yeah, it set off a whole lot in me. Uh, But I I guess I want to begin with this. School. (laughs) right? School. Uh, When someone enters into preparation for the calling to professionally serve the Jesus movement, to be a pastor, uh, in most of the world, they attend a kind of graduate school that surveys all the arguments and tension points and therefores of the tradition. There's no shortage of all of it, and it's so multidisciplinary. It's just more than, gosh, anyone can really absorb in the given time. You know, there's dead languages, archaeology, wisdom, spiritual practices, literary theories, metaphysics, practical philosophy, psychology, history, and it all just swirls together. It's it's so easy to miss the point, uh, to miss the forest for the trees, and all of it. Um, but if you like to learn, it really is fun. And it, but they, it just seems like they always assume you've got to connect the dots, which. I don't even know if they assume it because they don't know that we do. <laughs> they think we're just supposed to uh, inherit the dots, not the constellation, you know? Um, but yeah, 
in those schools, you learn all about the oldest arguments. And one of the oldest is this question of how the divine and the material intersect. Um, and with that is the question of how do the divine and the human intersect. Uh, the ancients and, and a lot of folks today inherited a paradigm and imagination around the divine and non-divine, the holy and... God, it, it, it pains me to even say unholy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the basic question of how the spiritual and the material, how does it all click together? And they rang, they wrung their hands over it back in the day. Um, just to speak of this historical figure, Jesus uh, of Nazareth, uh, because they had this commitment that he was also somehow divine. Uh, they assumed that the divine was perfect and the material or the human is imperfect. So how could that intermingle? How could that... Um, how could the divine retain its divinity once it's fully been with, laid with the material, the human, the not divine? Um, how could they genuinely bond, fuse, touch, or feel? And so to this day, the consequences of that anxiety, with some other things added on, means that some people still think that God can't actually feel, can't actually be moved or stirred by us. It's tragic. For God to feel would be for God to not be God anymore. Hmm. Bullshit. <laughs> um... Yeah, they but they would they would say that God can be near but detached. Um, they they argued in some ways that the um, genuine contact between the two would would compromise the divine or spiritual. The logic was similar to kind of how we talk about purity or cleanliness or disgust. Um, side note: read the book Unclean by Richard Beck. Amazing. Uh, long story short, though, the logic of disgust and cleanliness and all that is that if the impure touches the pure, the clean touches the unclean, it corrupts it. It overrides cleanness and ruins it. If I scratched my bare feet with my hand and then picked a chip out of a bag, you'd probably want to throw the whole bag out, right? Um, one bit of uncleanliness overrides this bag of clean, delicious chips. Um, and that's how people kind of thought of the divine and the material interacting or the human interacting, especially if humans are for lack of a better word, sinful. Uh, so their preoccupation was with how the hell we make sense out of their this other commitment that Jesus was and is somehow God, is somehow divine. So I took hours. I Thank you for bearing with me on where I, I'm going to let you know this isn't <laughs> where we're staying, is solving the metaphysics. Um, but I took, I spent hours in, uh, in class and pages of reading and pages of writing on the question, how do the divine and human show up in this person, Jesus? We learned all the different wrong ways to answer that um, throughout history, all these different Christological heresies. Um, some believed that Jesus was purely divine, but merely appeared human. Others read it the other way around. Some suggested that divine and human essences remained forever distinct within the person of Jesus. Uh, or that um, one of them had to sort of lose out to the other one. Uh, and then finally, the um, kind of argument that won out or survived uh, 
was hypostatic union. These two were mystically united in the person of Jesus. And that's, well, honestly, that's 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 how I kind of sorted out too. Although, you know what? All that memorizing who got what wrong and who, what did our ancestors get right? All of it was ultimately kind of bullshit. You know, it... It it does matter uh, to me quite a bit how how it gets penciled out. Um, but why did I learn so much about that? And maybe you've heard, taken a class in a school or a church um, that really fixates on that question of how was Jesus God and the metaphysics of that. And a lot of people will leave the Jesus tradition because they cannot do they. Their metaphysics doesn't allow that, and I get it, but it's not the point. It's not the payload. Um, we we aren't really leaning into what it means to say that the divine and the human can actually genuinely unite. We just said, well, that's how we solved that problem, and we moved along. We didn't try holding this amazing claim that the ground of reality, the holy, the divine, can fuse fully with humanity. But near the end of this week's reading, it's right there. The secret hidden from ages past is the Christ in you, in y'all, the hope of glory. Glory, of course, being the radiance of the holy in our reality, particularly in humans. One ancient teacher put it this way, the glory of God is humanity, fully alive. And it's right there. Um, there's a startlingness to that beyond metaphysics. Like Paul wasn't going around preaching a new metaphysical insight. There are profound social implications of this, right? The consequences of all that metaphysical anxiety is that the holy's longing and the Holy's long and winding road, the big secret is our total immersion into the divine and the divine's bold dance in and among us. Back then, in the flow of the argument that the authors of this text, Paul, has in mind, the big punchline to this is the secret is that this is a hum universal human destiny. It's not just a tribal thing. It's not just, and then the Christ will be manifest in this group or that group, this kind of human or that kind of human. Um, the Holy One is committed to intercarnating in all of humanity, not just one tribe or even this one person. The Christ, Jesus, is the firstborn of a new kind of breath being breathed into our mortal selves. Every empire, every tribe, every subculture gets it wrong in thinking it's just for them, only for the a, a, a narrow band of this whole thing. Uh, no. The hope of glory, the hope of humanity fully alive, is the Christ in you, in y'all. The Christ manifesting in ways beyond what's possible in Jesus because of it being a yallness. Does that make sense? How can Christ be made more manifest but for it to be in multiple people? Because if ultimate reality, if the Holy One is holy community, is Trinity, 
we're therefore able to unfold the holy in new ways as an us be, rather than as an I. It's not to diminish the fullness of divinity in Jesus, but to show how even he seems to know there is more to it than me. <laughs> it's why this whole thing, being human, spirituality, mysticism, religion, it's shared, it's not singular. But there's more, there's more, gosh. <laughs> uh, the real challenge, um, the one my seminary professors and uh, books avoided wholeheartedly, whew, wasn't the metaphysical question. 13 minutes into this episode, and we haven't even really hit the real sauce to this thing. The question is not, how is Jesus fully God? The big payload of the divinity of Jesus is that Jesusness is the Jesusness of the divine. The question we have to hold and not let go of <laughs> is how is it that God is Christ-like, always Christ-like, always fully Christ-like? If Jesus was God, if Jesus was divine, then God is like Jesus. Jesus who parties with the wrong folk. Jesus who is nonviolent. Jesus who refuses to play the tiny little pissing matches and games with imperial government or imperial religion. Jesus who spends time under the stars more than in the chapel. Jesus who heals ailments rather than figuring out who to blame for the ailments. Jesus who forgives his own executioners. Jesus who puts women and sexual minorities like the intersex on equal footing with men and sanctioned sexualities. Jesus who is misunderstood as a violent rebel. Jesus who prays for enemies. Jesus who doesn't need the whole world to know how dope he is. This is God. This is what God is like. It's not a minority report on God. It is the fullness of the character of the holy. The offense of the incarnation is that God is like this. The Holy One isn't on top of a pyramid up in the clouds demanding we be so very impressed with God. The Holy One doesn't need to punish or vanquish sinners. The Holy One doesn't need a sacrifice. God, the Holy One yearns for a partner. The Holy One is setting a table to feast with sinners, not beat the shit out of them. The Holy One is welcoming you home, not kicking you out of it. The Holy One is dying for it them for you for us the holy one is stopping us from making up stories to justify why we should kick out sinners <laughs> the holy one would rather be crucified than let us keep thinking the holy one needs us to crucify people god is christ-like the Holy One is far more interested in setting up a temple in you than in you setting up a temple for her. The scandal of Jesus is that God is Christ-like. In the Jesus tradition that engages this text seriously, that's all we've been, we have to be held by. It's right there. In him, all the fullness of deity bodily dwelled. Not some of the fullness, 
not a little bit, not most of, not almost all of, not a, not a majority. It's all of the fullness of the divine. There is nothing in the divine that is not like Jesus. There is no part of the divine that is not Christ-like. If you want to know what ultimate reality is like, look at Jesus. So much of this weird notion of God is shrouded in mystery and speculation, right? But, not the heart, but we do see Jesus. And that is what reality is really like, and what the hope of glory is really all about— all of humanity participating in a God that is like Jesus all the way down. Reality all the way down is like Jesus. Not in imitation or obedience, that hierarchy is behind us, but in participation, in familiness, reverent, grateful, bewildered, loving participation in both directions. <laughs> it's so beautiful, it's almost absurd. And, you know, maybe that intersection of beauty and absurdity, for me, takes me to a place that we may call worship, reverence, adoration. To revere God, the Holy One, for not being an asshole. <laughs> God is like Jesus. God isn't like the destroyer. He's the creator. She's the creator. God is not tribal, but cosmic. So I want, I want you to hear then in that spirit of worship, I suppose. It's a word I don't use much here. I want you to hear this song. The song by David Benjamin Blower, co-host of the Nomad Podcast. Image of the invisible God, firstborn of creation. For by him all things were made, on earth as in heaven. Jesus Christ before all things, who holds all things together. Reconciles all things to God and all things to each other. All things seen and things unseen, rulers, thrones, or powers. All these things were made through him who levels haughty towers. Jesus Christ before all things, who holds all things together. Reconciles all things to God and all things to each other. Outside Lord and Head of the gathered body, we the walking feet and hands serving to thy glory. Jesus Christ before all things, who holds all things together, reconciles all things to God and all things to each other. Here God's fullness please to dwell in him, Lord, and beginning, making peace now with the blood of his crucifixion. Jesus Christ before all things, who holds all 
things together, reconciles all things to God and all things to each other. Alms are the first new day, first raised among the fallen, that all things may follow him through death to resurrection. Jesus Christ before all things, who holds all things together, reconciles all things to God and all things to each other. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you.